Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 185th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's playing out all the nights to get lucky. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good to be here this week. How are you doing on this fine day? Busy, busy, busy. Had a lot of catch-up to do when I got back to my desk because my brother, the police officer, lost his work phone by leaving it on the roof of his car and then driving around my neighborhood to go get barbecue. So that turned into a whole <laughs> shenanigans. Did you guys find it? It seems like the IT crew at his unit is going to try to track it down for him. <laughs> well, good luck to him. Better than losing your gun, I suppose. He, yeah, that'd be true. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, busy here too, trying to wrap up all the house projects before the sun- weather starts to turn. It's getting cool out, so getting all that in under the wire. Um, all right. I'm glad to be here. And I'm looking forward to sharing some value information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right. Well, this week we bring you a show in four parts. Segment one, our top movers, uh, cards that have moved the most in price this week. Segment two, our cards to watch. We'll talk about all of the uh, cards that we think have a good outlook. Segment three, our metagame week in review. We've got a couple events to talk about this week. And finally, our topic of the week, segment four, we've got some more Throne of Eldraine spoilers we'll run through and see if anything jumps out at us. So let's get started here. First card of the week, uh, Stencia Masquerade, uh, foils out of shadows over Innistrad for just under $4 up towards 9 for a little better than a double up. This is a, an, an enchantment that uh, has madness on it and gives vampires some bonuses. A lot of the the most recent return to madness prior to Commander 2019 was Shadows Over Innistrad. It kind of had a vampire theme in it. So I think a lot of Anji decks, at least casually, are getting built on a vampire theme, which would explain why this has seen popularity. And remember that uh, Edgar Markov is surprisingly still like a top, commander i think he's like a top commander for the last two years so there's definitely a strong vampire fan base out there yeah markov was significantly more popular than i thought he would be when he first came out yeah me too i mean i knew he would be popular but like i didn't expect him to be that popular Mm -hmm. all right so next on the list we've got catalyst stone out of odyssey this is the one that reduces flashback costs by uh two uh, and, co- and flashback costs your opponents uh, two more, which is probably less likely to be relevant. Um, and of course, this is leaning into the Commander 2019 EDH deck that makes use of flashback. 
Right. So we saw this spike as well back right when the theme was announced. So uh, nothing too surprising there. Yeah, it's an old enough foil that there are basically none around near Mint. Um, yeah. So you basically just throw them out there and hope somebody bites off on any reasonable price. Yeah, pretty much. It's the way those go. Uh, following that is Histerdon out of Onslaught. Uh, foils a dollar and change over five bucks. Histerdon is a nifty little, basically a green morph Ophidian, I think is the way to describe it. Yep. Um, I had him in my Beast deck when I had a Beast deck. It's a pretty cool deck. Uh, had some Contested Close in there, some Feral Throwback. I had, to, I had it going. Um, but, you know, this is just for morph decks, uh, foils for morphs. I, 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 You might sell it, but, you know, I wouldn't hold my breath. This um, is the dreaded, like, $1.50 to $4 with no buy list out scenario. Yeah. Moving right along. Uh, Ball Lightning out of Magic 2010, foils from 20 to 57. I don't know if you can get 57. I don't know how many people are foiling out their Skelementals deck, um, but hopefully enough that you could maybe get 20 or 30. Um, Well, I got to tell you, I think you're really out of luck if you're trying to profit on Ball Lightning foils because this card has been printed so many times. I just don't know. But it's just like you'd have to buy out so many of them. Not really. I mean, there's that. There isn't the, the inventory level is not that deep on ball lightning foils because a lot of the ball lightning editions were pre foil. Um, let's see what you're actually dealing with here. I, I, I without looking, I'm going to call four separate foil printings. Okay, but there's a judge promo. There's almost none of those lying around, and they're fifty bucks plus. No, there's none in fourth. The beat down box set didn't have foils, so you're basically dealing with Masters twenty five, the premium deck series a copy that nobody will want from fire and lightning and then magic 2010 that's it yeah well you say that's it but i still see masters 25 which is recent magic 2010 which isn't recent of course but uh and the the fire and lightning and of course the judges which there's not a ton of but they're still out there and those are 20 dollars apparently but masters 25 foils are there are three listings single copy each all 10 bucks so that's the most recent posting and tcg has none left so people have some combination of speculation and player demand has cleaned out most of these um now i prefer the original art like easy breezy that's the best but there's also no listing there's like six copies available between 12 and 15 dollars of the 2010 so this says 57 i don't know where they're getting that number market price is like three bucks on these foils I would be if you're holding any, I'd be throwing them up at like twenty to twenty five and trying to unload there. Uh, I remain skeptical. Let's go with that. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I remain skeptical, especially because this is, you know, not only is there a good supply of this, it's not like this deck is cleaning up modern. It's not like very busted and quickly becoming tier one. It's like it seems decent for sure, and you could definitely win F and M with it. But I mean, you know, we haven't seen it in any of the top eight events really recently. Not in the last couple of weeks since Stoneforge was unbanned. I think that the play might be to try to scoop cheap dark copies that are mispriced in old binders at your random local LGS because they are also draining pretty hard. The card is draining. The the dark copies, there's only 14 listings, and they range from 30 to 75 on TCG. 
So if you can get in closer to 20 on some dark copies or get them in trade, you're probably doing fine. Um, the art, I think the dark copies are far and away the best ball lighting you could table. Uh, the, wait, 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 the which ones? The dark, the original. I mean, I'm always a fan of original printings on cards. Uh, oh, wait, we all prints. Here we go. Okay. God, there are so many prints of this card. It is unreal. Um, yeah, I mean, I would probably go with the judge promo. I'm a sucker for foil old borders, but I could see the argument for the dark. I mean, the art that that has a certain iconic status. Mm, yeah, I, I'm looking for what word am I looking for? A certain je ne sais quoi old feel to it. That's not the right word. Damn it, nostalgia. I'm getting old. I can't think of words. Nostalgia. Yeah, it feels closer to a page out of a spell book than a TCG sure. product. Agreed. Ju- ju- judge foils are, there's five listed, one for 50, four for 70. I, no, I don't think there's any debate here. The, the foils are drying up. There's just, there just aren't lying around. And because these foils are largely, you know, other than Masters 25, they're the foils were years and years old. There just aren't that many around to replenish. So it's not, it's not, and there's not like a lot of people were holding these <laughs> deep stacks of these people don't have bricks of foil ball lighting sitting around that they can buy list in and change the situation. So it's going to be, I, I would, I would hazard to guess that demand will outstrip supply here for some time. I mean, on the judge ones, that's possible. Cause I mean, it is an iconic card and there wouldn't be all that much of it. Uh, but I, I am amused by the idea of some guy out there who went deep on these in like 2003 for some, you know, they printed some other card in 2003 that he thought was going to make ball lightning good and it whiffed. And he's now been nursing these copies in a binder upset about them for 16 years and just suddenly got paid out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. The the thing is, like, I saw a Masters 25 box in town in Toronto here the other day for 600 Canadian, which is like 450 plus US. Um, a Masters 25 box? Yeah. So What am I missing? It's, the thing is that these Masters boxes, after they are out of print, are scarce enough. Like, you can't get them from distributors anymore. So whatever the shop has they can put whatever price tag on it they want and wait for the person to come in like my dad who's just thinks it's cool to buy it and doesn't really give a shit what the <clears> price <throat> is in the market and because of that there aren't any easy replenishment points for ball lightning what was the what was the msrp on masters 25 well the same as all the master sets 240 hmm the, the other thing is that like we just got Lightning Skelemental in Modern Horizons one, so I don't think Ball Lightning is on a reprint to to be reprinted list anywhere at Watsi. Like that's just not even going to be remotely on their radar. Um, it's not not a card they're going to feel any impetus to print into any format. And if the foils are high enough, like and it's also just not the kind of card they're going to throw into a commander deck either. So I don't I don't. It could be five years before you see Ball Lightning reprinted again. Yeah, I mean, they print it all the time. It's just where are they going to put the foils? Um, those are harder to print for sure. Uh, all right, so yeah. moving right along, we've got uh, a win in our in our column. Villas Broker of Blood Foils from Corset 2020 was... Uh, you can take the credit here. You can take the credit. It's yours. Was it in your? Was it in one of your articles as well? No. Okay. 
I, 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 I did not specifically write about or speak about this card, so this is all you. So this was on episode, what was it, 181? Yeah, yeah. 181 called it, uh, I called non-foils though, let's be fair. Uh, non-foils a dollar to two dollars those easily got there as well Um, but I also scooped up some foils and we talked about them a bit on cast Uh, and sure I I also picked I actually picked up Japanese foil villas from Haruya for six bucks piece those are going to be real nice (laughs) I I would Mm -hmm. imagine the exit there is going to be 40 to 50 I hope for your sake it is he is, uh, is a real cool card. If he was Mythic, I would have been super deep. The thing is, with the print run on the core set, they may as well be. The uh, the foils here went from 4 to 14, and they're headed further north. I think actually the cheapest copies I saw on TCG yesterday were something like 19, I want to say. I uh, I went deep on Razaketh back when he came out. And let's see, I think I got in at roughly foil, 10 bucks, roughly, foils. Looks like they're 25 now. I haven't sold one in a while, but I don't think I'm the cheapest. Uh, I am not. I don't have any copies listed, but there are only five foil copies of Razaketh right now, and they're basically all 25. Uh, There's a. But hand- if you listen to me when I wrote about that card at 10, you're looking pretty. <laughs> there's a handful of there's a handful of foil villas left in and around 14 to 15, and those are probably a scoop anyway because the ramp is super steep up into 30. Uh, and I think it'll get there easily in the next six months. Uh, Corset is not going to be opened heavily heading into the fall. There's a lot of other products to distract with um, that are sucking up money. And we we had intel that Corset was underprinted. There's a lot of good cards in that set. And I suspect that that's going to lead to a lot of cards spiking earlier than people anticipated. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, we mm-hmm. we were very cautious about foils on this set up front because we had we there is a higher foil drop rate starting in that set, but it yep. doesn't seem to have mattered much. The market definitely absorbed it. Yeah, it may have been tempered by a lower print run, a lower demand. Yeah, lower demand for the set, so just fewer, but less of it got open. But um, you know, that doesn't mean that the foils won't be valuable. It just means that essentially the the multiplier will be smaller yeah or it could take I or think. it can take longer to drain or a combination of both and i think i yeah. think you're right like throwing a bell drain is going to be the real test let's see what foils for some of the good cards out of that the multi-format stars like your once upon a times what's that going to look like in six months you know that was supposed to be our intro for the episode and i had it in my head while i was getting my dinner together and forgot to write it didn't get a chance to write it down i came back and you had the night one but that was yours yours, yours is probably would, better I didn't. I hadn't quite worked it out yet. I'm sure. I just knew. I'm like that should be the intros. We should say, you know, something. Maybe I'll. Maybe I'll treat you guys to that next week. Give me a <laughs> whole you. week to think of something really <laughs> good on that. Next on the list, we've got overgrowth tenth edition foils in theory, going from twelve to forty-two, uh, related to Lotus Field uh, decks. I'm. I'm going to go ahead and say o- overgrowth foils. Anything you can get for those over fifteen is probably just fine. Don't. Yeah, but that's there's not a lot of those out there, and I, I pre, it's Lotus Field right in the name of the card, yeah. Um, but I remember looking this up when Lotus Field was spoiled because I was like, ooh, uh, a land with hexproof, uh, that's going to be real good to put all those cool land enchantments on. Um, so I, I don't know if somebody put it on stream recently or what, but I that is definitely my take on this. Is someone has that idea? 
Next week, we've got on our list, we've got Kinsbale Cavalier at a morning tide. Foils going from 7 to 25. Market price on foils is still at 450, but there is only a single copy at 30 bucks sitting on, t- uh, well, a single listing with four copies at 30 bucks sitting on TCG Player. This is the 2 2 for four that gives Night Creatures double strike. For this to do anything, and for anybody to want it, there either has to be a Night Deck in Modern, which I'm very dubious of. Or we have to get an amazing knight commander for EDH, which we haven't seen yet. Uh, yep. So I don't know whether these knight specs are going to hit. Certainly not something I'd want to be very deep on. Uh, no, no. I, I don't think you're really going to get paid on this. Like, this isn't a modern card. I don't know who wants this or where they want it. You know what I mean? Like, this is just strictly essentially casual, but... Yeah. They're not really big on foils. Better, 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 be, better be a great knight commander. That's like I said. Yeah, and I think honestly, I think we we no, nah, I guess we didn't already get it. I want to say we already got it in that what's his name, the five color one. No, but that's not actually a knight. The, it the, just looks like a knight. The king you're talking about? Yeah, I looked at that and I kind of wondered. I'm like, is this supposed to be the knight captain? No. No, no, no. They didn't. We thought we were getting a werewolf commander in whatever set that was, <laughs> yeah. and we didn't. Yeah, they they could easily so, not uh, give it to us. That's for sure. Um, but I suspect yeah. I suspect there's a good legendary knight yet to be revealed here. Well, let's hope for everyone's sake. In any case, I don't like these pop up every now and then. Um, I guess you're out. I, I, I let me let me backtrack a little bit. You're out is a fun knight commander because then you want Kinsbale Cavaliers. So. If this spec is just based on something we haven't seen yet that we don't know if it's in the set, which is a Knight Commander, because if it's there, you can probably sell these. Uh, If it's not there, you just got totally ranched. Yep. But you ranched yourself in that case. Uh, Okay, so Muck Drub out of Planar Chaos foils five and change up to 20. Muck Drub is a morph from Planar Chaos who retargets spells. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Madness, not Morph, Madness, my mistake, who retargets spells to himself. Um, so, you know, they try to shoot your Angie, you tap it in response, discard Muckdrub for the Madden, pay the Madness, save Angie, blah, blah, blah. Uh, one of the few useful Morph cards that existed prior to Commander 2019 that would be good in EDH, kind of. Um, so, I mean... You're not going to sell many of these, but there's not any more copies out there, so you're probably safe to get paid up, paid off eventually. Yeah. Next on the list, we've got Pillar of the Peroons, uh, non-foils from 3 to about 14, and I think foils are 40, 50, 60, something like that right now? Um, this, uh, probably. This is on the back of 5-color Niv-Mizzet, running this as a 4-of in Modern, and just posted up as, I think it... Uh, it won an event just recently, and I can't remember which one it was, but it was like a mid-tier modern event. Yeah, this keeps popping up, and I really just don't understand it at all. Like, how this this is good. This is supposed to be good. It kind of bewilders me, um, but it keeps posting results, so apparently it's playable. Yep, it's it was posting top eights in the era of Hogak on the regular, yeah. like pretty much every week. I mean, and keep, keep in mind, these are curated results, so it could have been less than 1% of the results. But there are um, something like 20 different results 
currently tracked in the last little while, um, including a SEG Modern IQ fourth place, September 1st. Um, there's a lot of hmm. powerful cards in this deck. Um, Ice Fang Quaddles, Niv Mizzet himself, Tolzmir, Teferi Time Raveler, Nahiri the Harbinger, Assassin's Trophy, Eladomri's Call, Lightning Helix. I mean, it looks like a pile, but between Niv and Bring to Light, you just... And Arkham's Astrolab is probably helping a lot, too, in terms of uh, mana fixing. Um, sure. It is, pre- presents a unique angle. And there are a lot... When your opponent draws a card in this deck, you have to think through a lot of information <laughs> to figure out what your new problems could be. Because there are a ton of one-ofs in this list. Yeah, I, piloting this has got to be quite the challenge, just because yeah. your entire deck is so funky. Mm-hmm. So, um, so maybe this deck is only tier two, tier two point five, but it looks like it's going to be hanging around. Um, still getting and it's somewhere. It's been quite some time since we've seen Pillar, so and until it gets a master set reprinting, I think you're probably safe to make money on those. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I agree. I mean, it's it's going to be the go to card for those types of decks until it gets replaced or there's something similar. Um. All right, Hacken, Stromgold, Scourge, both foils and non-foils. The non-foils, about a dollar up to six, so a pretty big jump there. The foils had a big jump as well. Uh, this is all a knight type. People are excited about knights, and Hacken is probably the coolest knight out there. Uh, for those that are unfamiliar, he was a uh, cold snap card. You cannot cast him from anywhere except your graveyard. He's a 3 mana 3 3 black. You can only cast him from your graveyard. As long as he's in play, you can cast knight cards from your graveyard. So the trick used to be you would, you know, bury, you would uh, like mill Hacken into your graveyard or, or loot him into your graveyard somehow, then cast him. And then you could play Crib Swap or Nameless Inversion for free. Well, not for free. I'm sorry. You could keep playing them because you cast a spell from your graveyard, but it, it doesn't say exile. It, it just stays there. So you could just keep banging those changeling spells, which were technically night nice spells. Um, so it's a cool card. I've I've always been a fan. Uh, nice to see he's finally getting his time in the sun. And it remains to be seen whether there's a deck of any kind there. Like, again, if you get the knight commander, then hack and slam dunk makes the deck. If there's a modern deck with knights in it that is anything more than Saffron Olive just running a against the odds, <laughs> then, then it'll get there. But there's no denying that it's selling. Like I sold four copies in the last 48 hours, including an LP foil this morning for 54.88. It's pretty wild. My in on those was 20 bucks last February. Nice. It was very nice. Um, all right. So final one on the list, Blood Clock at a Saviors of Kamigawa. Uh, non-foils from 3 to 21. And I'm sad to say, I don't know why this is moving. Uh, So we have two suggestions here. The first is, I guess someone said that it was in the command zone Grevin list. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. I'm, I'm I'm getting up to the minute updates here. That is wrong. So I guess the best bead we have on this is... Seth, Saffron Olive mentioned it, but he also talked about it having jumped and said his best guess was that it was people looking to rebuy adventure creatures. So sure. you cast it as the adventure, then you play the creature, 
Then you get to uh, your upkeep, return the creature to your hand, cast spell, and replay cast the, the spell adventure. And then get the creature, and yeah. then cast the spell, and then get the creature. That's, yeah. that's reasonable. I mean, if you're going to build an adventure commander deck, I guess... There, be, there, this, better, be an adventure, no. there better be an adventure commander, because you're not going to have a high enough density of adventures in your chosen spells. And your chosen yeah, colors. you're not going to have a high enough density regardless. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But but I mean, that's a super stretch. Yeah, because, well, you would need some, like, a Spells Matters deck that wants a bunch of creatures, too. Like, Snapcaster into instance adventure creatures into reusing the instance and sorceries. It's, I, I can't picture it. And I suspect it may but, not, co- like, coalesce into something meaningful. This can only be useful for a thematic deck. Sure. It's not a good deck. It's like a thematic deck. So far, based on what we've seen from Throne of Eldraine. The Well, I I mean every card printed from here on out would have to be a adventure card for me to think that this had any legs. Yep. All right, so moving right along into segment 2, cards to watch. Um my theme this week is stuff that's rotating. That's looking tasty. Um, okay. Mostly because the cards in question are already at relatively elevated price points, are extremely hard to reprint, and are not being propped up by standard. Uh, specifically, I, I went looking for examples of flip cards from the Ixalan block that looked like they were in prime position, some of which we have talked about in the past. I know we called like Foil Search for Ascanta early on, especially the Buy a Box promo. I'm sure that I called Growing Rights of Itlamok Buy a Box promos at some point, um, and Japanese copies probably, because I know I've made money on those <laughs> somewhere along the way. Um, and I, I think we've talked about growing rights of Itlamok more than once, both of us. And I know that I've ca- I've called my third pick here at some point in the past too. But having looked at, you know, the the simple statistics of where we're at with these cards, uh, I see no reason to hold off. So my first pick is growing right uh, rights of Itlamok, um, the poor man's uh, Gaia's Cradle, short to midterm. I'm looking for here, and I'm talking about pack foils, not the buy boxes, which are already fairly elevated. Pack foils are showing a pretty steep curve. You can pick them up in the $13, $14, $15 range, depending on where you're getting them. There's a 10% off uh, uh, eBay coupon floating around right now that might be helpful. Um, Various vendors have, you know, scant copies lying around somewhere in the $15 to $20 range, depending on what your discounts are there. Um, And I think this is easy to go from like $14 or $15 to $25 plus within the next six months. Um, growing rights of mock, uh, there was some debate up. I remember having arguments with people on Twitter about whether this was an important EDH card. Um, a couple years down the road, haha, it's in 13,000 uh, decks on EDH Rec, and it's, I think, second uh, for Ixalan after Vanquisher's banner in terms of overall play. Um, so, very little doubt that this is going to be a staple for Commander. Wasn't seeing any relevant constructed play. Um, the, the, the curve is steep. I, I don't see why you're holding off here. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine somebody taking the under on this. It's, you know, it's a worse guy's cradle, but it's a guy's cradle that costs a dollar rather than 200. So people are definitely going to want to play it. People with cradle are going to want this as well. And people who can't afford cradle are definitely going to want it because they need something. Um, so I don't, can't imagine there was... It's hard to imagine there ever having been Daltos would be good. In any case, uh, I think this is solid, and it now seems like a great time to be picking on it because there's 
so little attention being paid to it, right? Like it's just not on anyone's radar, which means it's a good time to focus on stuff like this. You know, I always keep that uh, Warren Buffett little tidbit in my head, which is uh, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And I think you can apply the same kind of concept to magic finance where it's, you know, when everyone's looking one way, you look the other, you know, when they're zigging, you zag. Um, and I would consider this type of activity to be zigging when everyone's zagging. So I, I think that, you know, the buy box promos are probably, you know, quite a bit pricier at this point. And this is targeting essentially different market segment. Well, there are still 20 to $21 uh, buy box promos sitting around and the backside art is, is superior on those. So I think that they're also a valid target to go say 20 ish to 35, something like that. Their ramp is also steep. I just think any even non-foils are a valid play here because they're going to drive up a little slower. But this is these flip cards, they're all good targets because they're not going to get reprinted anytime soon. They just rotated out. That gives them at least a two to three year window. There's so many things ahead of them in, in line for reprints. And they're so hard to print into a set because of their unique framing and so forth on the backside. Um, I don't see it being a priority for Wizards anytime in the near future. Yeah, I mean, it seems like your most likely place to get caught out on this is some sort of like another flip card product or some product similar to that where it's like the premium foiling and it's a collection of cards and not all of them are in there, but some of them are. And it's like, even if it includes growing rights of Itlamuk, then is that really the worst case, right? Because it's probably going to be a weird print, a weird foil print, like if it's a, the front of a dual deck type of thing or whatever, like it's still not the same. So uh, I think that you're overall in very good shape here. It's going to be a long time before, if a long time before they give us a comparable foil. There are some decent sell walls up around 7 or $8 for the non-foils, but if those crumble in the next few months, then Wizards has basically a one-year window to get this into a commander deck, and then they lose that option. Because if it gets to 15, we, we've seen how reluctant they are to drop those into commander decks. So then you're, say, you're, you're talking about where is the next Commander Masters type product. Um, if that shows up on the horizon soonish, then you're, you're even less likely to see this because it'll miss that list for sure. And then it'll be whatever, three or four years before you get another one like that. Mm-hmm. It's well positioned, definitely. All right, um, your first pick. Yeah, so if your theme is cards that are going to rotate, my theme is trying to get lucky in modern. Um, and I'm going to start with the Jeskai Ascendancy. Uh, foils are about 10 bucks right now at a construct here. And I'm pretty sure we've talked about this card before, but we have a new piece of information today. Yeah, we have a new piece of information today. Um, it is a... God, I don't hope this is not... I didn't Google this. I hope this is not offensive. A waterlogged bench. <laughs> for, uh, and I will, I'll have to go look up a beep sound if it is. But are you are you a Monty Python fan, James? Uh, yes, from way back. The the Knights of the... Or, uh, whatchamacallit, the Holy Grail, quest for the Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah, and, yep. yeah the, you know, woman, some broad standing up out of a lake and handing you a sword is no basis for a form of government. Um, Emery, Lurker of the Lock. So this is the card that was spoiled in Japanese. It is three Chinese, mana. I think Chinese. Chinese? Oh, yeah. sorry. I did not look that Chinese closely. simplified, I believe. Gotcha. Okay. So it is, oh, let me, let me. Two and a, two and a blue for a legendary creature, Merfolk Wizard. This spell casts one less to cast for each artifact you control. 
When Emery Lurker of the Lock enters the battlefield, put the top four cards of your library into your graveyard, and then its tap ability reads, choose target artifact card in your graveyard. You may cast that card this turn. Yeah, so this came out, we looked at it, looked cool, didn't think too much of it, and then I did a double take when Sam Black said, I don't know why people my, my Twitter feed isn't full of people talking about this card, this seems insane. Uh, and really, like when you think about it, you're like, I guess this is probably a one mana one two, that when it comes into play, it mills you for four, which is already like, okay, like, it's fine. And then you get to cast, like, you can just later on just start casting artifacts out of your graveyard. That's a big deal. Yeah. Like, that's a big deal. Now, and this is also a legendary card, uh, which means it turns on your Mox Ambers, which, look at that, work really well with everything she's trying to do. So, like, you can go Mox Opal, Mox Amber, play your Emery for one mana, with a play a land, play your Emery for one mana, now your Mox Amber's turned on, cast another artifact, now your Mox Opal's turned on. Like, there's all sorts of wild stuff you can do with her. But the interaction specifically that caught my eye was um, Jeskai Ascendancy, uh, Mishra's Bauble, and Emery. Because with Jeskai Ascendancy in play, you tap Emery to targeting the Mishra's Bauble in your graveyard, you cast Mishra's Bauble, which untaps uh, Emery and gives her plus one, plus one, and allows you to loot. And then you sack the Mishra's Bobble, and now you target it with Emery again. So that is an infinite loop right there. Now, the difference is, is that the old Jeskai Ascendancy builds didn't have guaranteed infinite loops, um, and you had to build them... You had the, the basically the entire deck had to be built around having enough redundancy to be able to run your engine and go off. Whereas this... You can essentially play Jeskai Ascendancy, Emery, Mishra's Bobble, and then 48 other cards that just seek to eventually put that combo together and kill people. Um, so I really like the outlook here for Jeskai Ascendancy because of this. I'm not positive it's going to be good enough, but I do think that it's very tempting. And Emery's a very powerful card, I think. And then you have this cool combo that exists as well. Um, it even seems like you could just build a deck with Emery that has Bobble that just splashes some Jeskai Ascendancies to possibly kill people. Kind of like how you could play like a blue, red, white, or blue, white, blue, red control deck in modern and then just have Splinter Twins in there and just occasionally KO people. Um, in any case, the foil uh, Jeskai Ascendancies are around $10 right now. Supply is quite low, probably because they've been targeted a couple times. That definitely helps. But I like grabbing a couple more if you don't have any yet. Uh, because I have a feeling we're going to see these at 20, 25, maybe even 30 if somebody cracks an event with it. I had a lot of these way too early, and I have sold them in small batches here and there along the way whenever something has happened with Jeskai Ascendancy in Modern. Um, and it has been kind of on a six-month interval where somebody makes some noise with the card and people start wondering whether it's finally at the tipping point where it's just going to be a consistent enough deck to show up on a regular basis. Um, but th through that whole period, the foils have continued to slowly drain out of the market. It has never had a, a super huge spike that stuck. Um, but now you're looking at 20 results on TCG player that range from un just under 10 to about 20. So it's not going to take much if this thing ends up being real and that's nothing to say not, to speak nothing of all of the synergies for emery lurker of the lock with artifact decks and commander 
Mm-hmm. Like Emery herself, her foils at whatever peak supply basement is are going to be amazing. Because if the yeah. if, if if the deck doesn't emerge in modern and we end up getting a shot at these in Europe cheap, whew, they're going to be great. It's going to be yeah. like Psy Master Thopterus foils. Right. Emery herself is a whole other discussion. That's just not what I was looking at today. But I agree that it's uh, there. there's a lot of meat on that particular bone, I think. Goblin engineer, et cetera. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was like, OK, well, you know, now it's people are like, oh, it's a, like a better goblin engineer. I'm like, uh, no, it's a, a mate to goblin engineer. You play both because goblin engineer goes and fetches you whatever artifact you want to play and then. Like, it doesn't have to be small, because remember, Goblin Engineer tutors anything, but only puts small stuff in the play. So you can kind of set that up. You can Goblin Engineer, use Emery to play something small, and then later on, uh, you know, the large card that you tutored with Goblin Engineer, you can play with you know what's a fun? You know what's a fun first target in Commander for these two cards? And, uh, and, soldering. And, <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> Many targets, really. Uh, uh, but you can go get Crystal Shard and with engineer mm. bring it back with emery and then just start bouncing both of them mm-hmm. nasty yeah there's some uh some unpleasant interactions out there awaiting people um all right i can get behind just guy ascendancy uh i think it needs it needs a little a little something a little a moment it needs a moment to really go off um but i'm not i wouldn't be scared to be holding ascendancies i certainly haven't been rushing to buy list the copies i have remaining um however I've gotten through probably about 45% of whatever I'm holding and happy to keep holding, looking for the out because this definitely has the potential to double from the 10 to $20 mark and that would beat my average. So, or at least come up alongside it. I think I'm averaging about 97% for the year. So anything that looks like it's a potential double up is fair game. Cool. Yeah. I like it. I like it. It's also fun to play for what that's worth. Um, All right. What do you got for us? So further down the rabbit hole of flip cards, specifically the lands, I like Journey to Eternity out of Rivals of Ixalan, which was way under the radar. There was a standard deck using this at one point briefly, um, and now it's it's just completely off the radar, I think. This is the Legendary Enchantment Aura. One black green, you enchant a creature you control. Whenever it dies, you basically flip it, and then you end up with a card that makes one mana of any color, or... For three green black return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So you get a uh, full wrath stronghold that also puts the creature into play. Um, obviously super useful in grindy games of commander. Um, foils are out there in and around. You're talking something like $8, $9 ish. And I could easily see them getting to say 16 in six to 12 months. Sure. All the numbers seem correct here. You've got a card with a solid play pattern uh, that's still relatively fresh. So it's not like this is 10 years old and it's in 6,000 decks. It's um, not even two years yet. Uh, it definitely does something commander players love to do. I mean, look at Marin and Maldrotha. Oh, we have somebody outside. Uh, Marin and Maldrotha definitely show that people like to recur creatures, uh, which is what this does. So I think all the pieces are in place. It's just going to be a matter of how long you have to wait. Yeah, and Growing Rights of Illumok is more popular overall, but it's from a bigger set. Um, Rivals being the small set means there is less of it. Um, and again, Journey to Eternity is so, like even if they gate like printed reprinted some uh, of these flip cards, Journey to Eternity foils are so unlikely to see a reprint. Could it could be a never reprint situation with this card? Yeah, or very very long. 
for sure. I mean, pe- for people, sure. People, people underestimate how many magic cards have just never seen a reprint. It's tens of thousands. Yeah, so. it is a lot of cards. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Oracle Moldaya. Sure. <laughs> that is somehow dodged reprints. Yep. And, that, and that one's and that one is not a I never reprint like that. That's it stand out in everybody's mind that pays attention and reprints for commander that it needs a reprint. It will get one at some point. This much more dubious. Uh, right. your, your next pick. All right. So keeping on the tra- track of uh, long shots and modern. Um, I'm returning to a well that I did not think I would ever go to in the first place, which is Allosaurus Rider and the Neoform combo. So I'm looking at Allosaurus Riders. Non-foils are about 750 right now. Um, I like them up to probably like 15 or so. Um, and the reason being, once upon a time, a card name you are going to hear a lot of in your life. Yep. If you play much magic. Uh, Once Upon a Time is a free, essentially a free Ancient Surians, so long it is the first card you play each game, which, and then it's two mana after that, which is still like one mana for this card is pretty much playable. Uh, So two mana is more than you want to pay, but if you got the first one for free, like it's still pretty good. But in particular, you can. This allows you to keep a lot more hands in Allosaurus Rider decks, Neoform decks, because now if you open a strong hand that's just missing, like the you know the Allosaurus Rider or this or a land, whew, something caught his attention. Uh, this allows you to use this cast this for free immediately. Draw dig five more and either find the land that you're short or the uh, the creature that you need. Yeah. Brian Gottlieb had an article on Star City today um, where he was talking about the various decks that might want this. And he talked about Neo Brand being like, maybe they run a couple copies. It's not clear. It really solves the problems the deck has. Mono Green Tron might want some number of copies, but there is the issue in the Tron decks of this not being able to get Planeswalkers because it doesn't actually do the Ancient Stirrings routine of getting any colorless card. It gets a land or a creature. So it can't get Planeswalkers. Um, and often that might, you know, sometimes that's what you're looking for in those decks. But he actually felt like um, the deck that might most want it would be something like Devoted Devastation. So like Devoted Druid and um, Vizier Remedies combo style decks that are leaning on Finale of Devastation um, on the basis that this goes and gets a combo piece. Um, and if like if you start the game with half of your half of your combo, once upon a time can go get the other half for free. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. because now they have to have the disruption on schedule or they're in deep shit and one of the other decks that people have been floating around as kind of a meme is the all the combos deck where it's like Karn with Mycosynth Lattice in the sideboard it's the Vizier Remedies and Devoted Druid combo and like one or two of the other potential combos in the format all just jammed into a single deck and mm-hmm. if enough of those are creature based, then once upon a time is adds a tremendous amount of consistency. Right. Yeah. Wh- which which combo do I have? I have half of three combos in my opening hand. I'm going to cast this and see which ones in the rest of the deck, rest of the top five, and then that's the combo I play. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I you know the neoform is I think is one of the ones that I saw that I think it looked good to me. Um, I don't know if it's exactly 
the right place for it. So like Allosaurus Rider is, I think people are going to try it regardless. I can't guarantee you that it's going to be the best takeaway here. Uh, but I do think that supply is, you know, there's like 35 vendors on TCG right now. So it's not that deep and people are definitely going to give this a shot, especially because the hype around this card is, uh, I actually, I'm reluctant to call it hype. It's uh, resigned, <laughs> resigned to their fate. People are like, yep, sure is going to be a lot of this card out there. Uh, they know it's coming. Well, and the uh, thing is that like Neo brand got better um, as the London Mulligan came into uh, play. And yeah. once upon a time helps it a little bit. And it's going to be one of those decks that is at such a like oblique angle to the rest of the format that Wizards is not going to plan around it. They're going to com- continue to print cards that slot into it here and there that reinforce it or make it a little more consistent. And at a certain point, it may hit a tipping point where it just becomes a very, very strong deck. And Allosaurus Rider might be the card that gets banned in that instance if it gets good enough. But it nobody seems to think that it's dangerous yet. So Wizards probably would look at a card like this and say, we're not reprinting this. We don't want to get into another situation where we have to ban a recently printed card. So they're going to leave this hanging out there forever. And if it's only ever good and not great, then these will just drain out of the market naturally as more and more people pick up the deck over time. Mm-hmm. So it could it's, be it, like a short term, short to midterm play that doesn't pan out that turns into a decently solid long term play. Yeah, it's hard to say for sure exactly what will happen. I think the Neoform deck is well positioned with um, with Once Upon a Time, but that card is definitely going to shake up modern one way or the other. Uh, all right, what's your last card for the week? So the final flip card is one I've definitely called before, Primal Amulet. This time I'm looking at the buy a box copy because um, these are still hanging around out there at $12. I think 12 to 20 within a year is very solid. I'm fairly certain that the last time I called this, it was like 6 to 12 or something, um, and we're already there. Um, but you probably have more room to go. Like I think you could probably start testing the ramp if you got in really early on these. You could sell a few and, and start recouping some costs um, and then feel it out and see how quickly they seem to sell. Um, because eventually I think it's a $20 card. I mean, it's an 8,000 decks reported on EDH rec. It's an auto include in any deck that cares about instants and sorceries. Cause it ends up, uh, flipping into something that can basically double them up. Right. So on the one side, you've got instants and sorceries cost, uh, one less to cast. That's a four casting cost artifact doing that. And then whenever you do, when you, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you put a charge counter on it. Then if it has four more counters on it, you flip it. Um, and then add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And whenever that mana is spent to cast an instant or sorcery, you fork it. So then it just starts forking everything you're doing. Um, the buy a box uh, art, of course, is superior. When you put them all together, they form a map. It's super cool. Um, there aren't that many copies lying around. It's not like super shallow inventory. I think there's like 40 listings or something, but the ramp is relatively steep. So you get in it and your 10 or $11 copies now, and it's only going to take 20 or 30 copies sold before you're looking at 20 plus. Yeah, I think the 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 groundwork like the other two cards is there. It's a very solid card. The price hasn't quite gone nuts yet, but I think uh the heuristic points to success. Um I really like Primal Amiel. I I think I wrote about this. It might have been a while. I don't remember, but I feel like I have talked about this card. It's a it's it's very powerful. Uh, and People, you know, stuff gets printed every now and then. There's a, you know, a new commander each year, roughly, that this catches people's attention or every other year. There's something printed that cares about instants and sorceries and primal amulet gets revisited. So 
Uh, yeah, I like I like all three of these. I think these are all solid kind of middle-ish long-term picks here. So we had a request from uh, ProTrader Discord. They like the part where we say our favorite pick of the week. Um, out of these five, what do you like best? Hmm. Well, I feel like one of mine probably has the most spike potential. But if I had a hundred dollars and to buy any of these, and I could only pick one, it would probably be the pack foil growing rights. I think, just because I I think people are just going to go to that well over and over and over again. We're we're in agreement. I th- I think growing rights is the is the surest bet here, um, and there's nothing that's going to specifically spike it. Um, the the Jeskai Ascendancy and Allosaurus Rider are kind of meta-dependent. Um, Journey to Eternity and Primal Amulet are both solid, but are, you know, they're a little cheaper than Growing Rights, but probably don't have as much growth potential. Um, so yeah, I like Growing Rights too. I think it's the, the best one. Um, I could also have been, arguably, I could have been pulled into saying Mox Amber as a pick this week, mm-hmm. um, sitting mm-hmm. around at like 8 or $9 out there. I think the card is, has already made us money twice, just in the calendar year. Um, and things like um, the uh, aforementioned Lady of the Lake are not going to make it any less likely to spike. Uh, it's a mythic. It is out of print now. There is very high likelihood it hits 20 from close to 10 before it ever sees a reprint. And unlike mox tantalite whose prospects are pretty dim uh you can get a critical mass of cheap legendary permanence and get to a point where it's just a better card than it was when it was first printed yes yeah i agree uh mox amber is a card that was i considered talking about but ultimately opted not to because i feel like it's a little premature for that um but it's certainly no let certainly no less meta dependent than anything else we talked about yeah because that was that was the first place i went when i looked at emery because i'm like oh there's a card that will turn on mox amber and also really wants mox amber in the deck like that's a really strong synergy mm-hmm. um but i would rather just wait until rotation and go from there sure All right, so let's move on to section three of the podcast. We're going to talk about the metagame week in review. Uh, Standard, still waiting to see, you know, where we land early October. We'll probably talk a little bit more about how Throne of Eldraine is contributing to that format. Um, For now, we're still pretty focused on, you know, the exciting developments that are going on in modern post-Hogax ban. Um, The MTGO modern PTQ uh, yesterday... Um, had 400 plus players in it, and it was won by Mardu Death Shadow. Uh, Mardu, yeah, Mardu. Um, four Death Shadow, four Giver of Runes, Hex Parasite, four Ranger Captain of Eos, four Street Wraith, four Tide Hollow Scholar, four Fatal Push, three Inquisition, two Coligan's Command, two Lightning Bolt, two Teamer Battle Rage, four Thoughtseize, two Unearth. That is a tight looking list. Mm-hmm. Those numbers are intentional. And Ranger Captains and Giver of Runes and Death Shadows probably jump out at me there as the most uh, likely to make people money. Also worth noting that this list runs four Silent Clearing. 
Um, which of the how to rank the canopy lands in order um, as first to spike is very meta dependent and still seems to be somewhat up in the air. Yeah, on a long enough timeline, I'm pretty confident it's Boros, but black, white, probably the next closest for the most part, I would say. Um, Because let's see, you've got black, green, which is like mediocre, uh, green, black, and green, blue, right? Green, blue, which is not going to want those at all. Yeah, I I think it's really red, white, followed by black, white, but... In any given week, it could be one over the other. See, I think it's currently Sunbaked Canyon, so red-white, followed by uh, Fiery Islet, followed by Nurturing Peatland, Silent Clearing, and then Waterlogged Grove. However, over on EDH Rec, Nurturing Peatland is number one, and that's because a lot of the Lands Matters decks, like your Lord Windgraces, your Gitrog Monsters, etc., that are cycling lands in and out of the graveyard... Um, are obviously going to run Nurturing Peatland. Um, and the ones that are like Teamer flavored or Sultai flavored are going to be running Waterlog Grove. Um, so Fiery Islet is kind of middle of the pack in both Modern and EDH. And whereas Sunbaked Canyon and Silent Clearing might be above the others in Modern right now, Waterlog Grove and Nurturing Peatland are above them over on the Commander scene. So there's a lot of like equalizing pressure on all five of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really giving, uh, whatchamacallit, EDH much credence here, uh, much weight in this discussion. I I know people are going to play them, and it, it probably matters more than I think it will. But for the most part, I'm you know those people are going to buy one copy, whereas the people playing modern are buying four. Three, not, four. Well, let's not walk into that trap. It's, well, 20, well, no, it's 2019, no, but, 2019 partner. The people with 10 decks are going to buy four copies. No, it's, I don't it, think it, so, because this is a very specific type of land. Like, no you you can have six black green decks, but only one of those might be interested in recur- land recursion. Wait. This is not a universal dual land in that format. And there are a lot of options now. Uh, because it is a recently printed dual land... You see it associated. If you look at the commanders that are that are, it's reported as being run with. A lot of them have nothing to do with lands going in and out of graveyards. They're just well, decks. I I, I a lot believe of them that, do, but not all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like it's a hard and fast rule. I just think that in general, modern is going to do more to push these than EDH is. Uh, but more. So to, I, but ultimately, the the core point is they both will. <laughs> They, they, sure. These are multi-format staples, and they're all in, they're all going to double before they get reprinted. That's the bottom line for me. And yeah, I mean, you, we we just we just did a twenty-five thousand uh, dollar pro trader group buy the other day, and we had access to like the last four or five sets worth of non-foil singles, and the the bricks of these that were made available to the members went real fast. And then we got access to some more bricks, and they went fast again. Everybody seems to be willing to go pretty deep on these. Like I, I have no fear of holding fifty to one hundred copies of each of these. There's, there's always the outside chance that wizards kind of like 
put their sights on these and went, okay, we're going to put this in Modern Horizons 1 and then run it back a couple months later. No way. Uh, or a year later. There's a, a chance, but I'm not sold on that. I just see it as a possibility. There's just so few instances where they've shown a willingness to do that. And especially yeah. because especially because Modern Horizons is officially in print all year. So there's, there's that's no, true. no reason that's to be true. reprinting something that's still in the distribution pri- pipeline, especially with all yeah. the other stuff they've got planned. And we know all the sets for the year, so we can we have some sense of what's going on. Like in Throne of Eldraine, we know we're not getting any duels. We can easily predict that the reason we got the five Scrylands in the core set is because we're going to get the other five in the single visit to uh, Theros that we get in the winter. And then we're going to Godzilla Planet, and on Godzilla Planet, who knows? Um, but almost certainly not these. Um, and, and then we've got a Teferi themed corset in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So anything could be I, that. I mean, that, that could be the, where we finally get the black cleave cliff cycle reprinted. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I wasn't saying, I definitely think this is getting reprinted. I just meant like it's a universe, but yes. Yeah. For the most part, I think you're, you're quite safe here. We, we also, we also have, we're also going back to Zendikar, right? And mm-hmm. we know that that's, maybe where they give us they serve up fetch lands on a platter um now whole nother discussion about whether those fetch lands are ktk fetch lands or the good ones i.e the pricey ones um i i i would guess they are reluctant to print scalding tarn into standard (laughs) when they they can when they can when they can use it to sell a master style set uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, that's possible that they would just prefer to go that route. Like, not because, not for any reason other than money, basically. They, they've also intimated that they don't want Feshlands in Standard at all. So they, they could do something else. One of the, the templates that's been proposed as an alternative that they might print would be something like uh, Fetch put a token into play. So you don't have to search your library. You just get like a basic land token. Yes, yeah, I do think that fetch lands in general uh, are bad for magic, uh, and I also don't think that they're unplayable in modern, or I'm sorry, unplayable, I don't think they're too good in standard, so long as you don't put shocks with them, Uh, that was kind of the issue. I would like to see them go the route where they replace them with, uh, like Sam and Paul Reitzel's suggestion, where you just... Um, it fetches a token that produces land well, um, and, so that you don't have to shuffle. And the cool thing about that is they can give you sick flip tokens. Like we got flip tokens in MH1. The, fl- the, the tokens for these can be like swamp on one side, forest on the other, and it's just so slick. Yeah, that would be kind of nifty. Um, there's a couple different ways they could go. I would really like to see them introduce those cards and then ban these in modern at the same time. That would be cool. The other interesting that would be good for the format, but probably piss a lot of people off. Well, it could be a future historic prep thing, right? They they stop they don't stop reprinting the fetches very often. They give us the new ones, and it becomes obvious that at some point when historic replaces modern, modern the new historic version of modern will have a kind of fixed scenario. And the interesting thing is, there's a little bit of extra tension, right? You know how they've always said like fetching to thin your deck doesn't really do much like it's like a, a frank carsonism that's been hanging around out there waiting for people to discover it as they kind of yep. make their make their way through the various levels of deck analysis um but likewise the you know fetch into a token basic is slightly worse in that regard right because it doesn't thin the deck that minor amount um so there's 
they're they're both slightly less powerful and less problematic for game timing which is seems like a double win yeah yeah and i don't I, yeah there's a lot going on there it also opens up the design space to play with a land base other than fetches and shocks as well because those are clearly um the premium land combination in modern and less so today than it was when modern Five started ago, and yeah. it was yeah it was literally just fetches shocks and then filled basics to to wit um now there's a little bit more flexibility but that's still the the backbone of the mana base so getting rid of fetches means that there's room for other cooler combinations of lands i will say that i think if they don't put fetches in zendikar that it means they're holding them for a master set and if we do get the you know a fetch that turns into a token land or something along those general lines that is essentially an admission that historic is coming we are or rather the paper version is coming we are preparing for it we're setting the setting the table. setting everything in place so that when we're ready it will work uh, that would be the, i think the biggest the, the other thing to think about is oh, that man. i suspect we're going to continue to get um mythic edition style premium products for each set in fact i think we're getting one we've talked about that we the rumor is we're getting one for throne of Eldraine, probably getting one for theros and so on and so forth and when we get to zendikar my guess is they give us some new masterpiece fetches in that product and it will sell the hell out yeah that's possible i should probably get rid of my old expeditions huh i i would think that somebody asked me i've been asked at least twice this week about those and masterpieces in general and i just said like i think mind share is too distributed right now though and many of them have peaked to whatever level is possible and it's not that they're not going to retain value as much as it's that a lot of the roi is just burnt is baked in already and there's nothing much left like how high can masterpiece soul ring get how high can masterpiece mana crypt get you know scalding tarns peaked all of the expeditions peaked pretty much the within the first three months of release and have trended slightly downward and then slightly upward and kind of oscillated over time because they're so expensive to get a place out of. So it's a big commitment and people, yeah. that, are, people that are looking to spend $1,200 on something magic related may not be aiming for those when they could replace them for a lot less. Um, so uh, I, I think there is argument. There's so much else going on that there, an argument can easily be made that you're supposed to be transitioning out of that stuff just because there's other opportunities. Um, all right, so back to this modern BTQ. Death Shadow was in first. Stoneblade was in second. Pretty trim-looking white-blue version of the list. Snapcaster Mages, Stoneforge Mystics, the full complement of both. A Vendillion Click. Cryptic Commands, Force of Negations for each. Two Mana Leak, four Opt, four Path to Exile, four Spell Snare. Uh, one Batter Skull, two Jace the Mind Sculptor, one Sword of Feast and Famine, one Teferi Time Raveler. That is a pretty tight-looking deck as well. Yeah, it's interesting how hard cryptic command came back uh that really did a a whiplash there um credit to daniel fournier who when we did our modern horizon set review was discussing archmage's charm as potentially unplayable because of the combination like the fact that you would want cryptic commands and force negations first and then was debating you know how many of each of those you would want but suggested that it was going to be hard to fit much else in in the like two, three, four mana counterspell slots because these two were going to be so good. And here we are with uh, a pretty trim list running four of both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
There, these, yeah, these blue white stone blade lists have all been pretty, pretty straightforward. I'm not finding a lot of ways into this deck. I'm like Snapcaster Mages, yeah, we know that card. Stoneforge Mystics already spiked. Um, Cryptic Command, I'm cautiously tempted uh, by, but if I was interested in anything here, it would be the MPL, the Textless, or, uh, sorry, the t- MPR. And magic player rewards, the textless copies, but I already own some of those. So I'm not really interested in going deeper. Um, The rest is mostly commons and uncommons, except for the force negations. The rest is spell suite. And then, you know, you've got ones and two ofs and the other spells. So it's just, there's, it doesn't feel like there's an angle of attack in terms of like, how do I make money on this deck? Third in that tournament was an Eldrazi Tron list that I guess the most notable thing is for Karn the Great Creator. Um, Seeing this over and over again. And then to Ugin the Ineffable. This is a card that I just picked up a bunch of at a cheap rate out of Europe through the uh, Pro Trader Group Buy because it's also the ninth most reported card on EDH Rec from War of the Spark. And that's saying something because that set is chock-a-block full of all-stars. Um, you know, in front of it is things like Narder, Narset Parter Avails, Narset's Reversal, Karn's Bastion, Jace Wielder of Mysteries, Dovin's Veto, Spark Double, and Evolution Sage. All fantastic cards. Um, mm-hmm. Ugin and that it, the Ineffable is already reported in 3,500 plus decks there and is posting up as like a two or three of sometimes a one of in, in various versions of Tron and other colorless focused decks for modern probably has some casual demand as well. Um, just looks like a, probably an underpriced card. Uh, yeah, Ugin the Ineffable is really cool, and he's a he's a slow burn compared to some of these other ones. But yep. overall, I do like his trajectory as well. Um, you know, he does saving the the mana is just a tip of the iceberg there. So then, in fourth, we had the Urza build. This is the one running Goblin Engineer, not uh, Stoneforge Stoneforge Mystic Burn Collected Company Bant. Uh, was probably the most interesting of the top eight lists out of this PTQ. This is uh, Deputy of Detention, Giver of Runes, Hex Drinker, Ice Fang Quaddle, Noble Hierarch, Ranger Captain of Eos, Spell Queller, and Stoneforge Mystic with four Collector Company and four Path to Exile into Batterskull, Sword of Feast and Famine, and Sword of Fire and Ice. So, uh, you know, Collected Company value stuff, and then you've got your Stoneforge package in there to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. I wrote about Spellqueller this week, actually. Um, I think that that card is quite well positioned uh, with Stoneforge having been unbanned because you Stoneforge to Fairy and Spellqueller make a real cute little package where you have Spellqueller is disgusting with Teferi because he blocks the spell from coming back. And then you have Stoneforge Mystic, which makes a good play on two, because on turn three, you can hold up your equipment or cast Spellqueller if you need to. And then Spellqueller does a good job of carrying the Batter Skull and also protecting Teferi because of the Vigilance. Like, it's just such a good combination of synergy there. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm liking the outlook. And then we had another Urza deck and then a blue-white uh Urzatron list that was running Emrakul the Promised End, Nimble Obstructionist, Treasure Mage, Walking Ballista, Worm Coil Engine, Four Condescend, a Cyclonic Rift, Two Force of Negation, Three Remand, Three Repeal, Four Thirst for Knowledge, One Chalice of the Void, Four Expedition Map, Four Karn the Great Creator, Mind Slaver, Talisman of Dominance, and Two Ugin the Spirit Dragon. 
There's like seven different viable flavors of Tron. <laughs> yep. And once upon a time, there will be more. Yep. All right, so then just quickly, the Magic Fest over in Indianapolis was, I think, a team tournament, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So just quickly, the, the top team was Burn, Jeskai, Stoneblade, and Wurza. And I think this uh, Urza list was running the Stoneforge Mystic Package instead of Goblin Engineer. Nope, Goblin Engineer again. So it looks like Goblin Engineer has fended off the incursion by Stoneforge Mystic for the most part. Um, and then the second place team, Burn, Humans, and another Stoneblade deck. Uh, third uh, was Grix's Death Shadow, Green, White, Eldrazi, and Jund. And then the fourth place team, Mono Green, Tron, Urza, Stoneforge, Combo, and uh, Wurza. I, I have a feeling we're going to see... First of all, Urza looks like it's the best deck in the format right now. And it, this seems like we are moving towards a point where people are going to find a just a very tuned version of that deck. And it's going to be... You know, it'll be like three Stoneforge Mystics, two Goblin Engineer type of thing. And just kind of slowly figure out a way to put all of those pieces into the puzzle of the puzzle together at once. And it's just well, going to be like well, a nightmare to play against. The fourth place team, their version of the Urza deck ran both, as you said. Yeah. Four Goblin Engineer, three Stoneforge Mystic with a Scrap Trawler. Ugh. I mean, I, I tell you this much. Playing this on Magic Online is much worse than playing it in person because the loot, you, you can't just represent the loop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, That's one thing Paper Magical always have over digital. Yeah. So, I mean, I would be much more interested in playing this in person than I would be online. I just do not want to click the number of times it's going to require me to. Uh-huh. Remember when... Oh, excuse me. Um, <clears throat> do you remember when... So tired of making uh, money. I am. When there was like... We had had discussions, and I think they were le they were legitimate, about decks that looked like they might have been the best deck in the format but were being underplayed because it was so difficult to play them on magic online which was like the place that you practiced and got your reps in that it was like uh, nobody can play this deck on moto so it might be the best deck in the format but nobody can get the practice in with it to figure it out yeah i always thought that was kind of funny all right, let's uh, seg on over into our fourth and final segment, the topic of the week. Uh, clearly, our, our easiest target here is the recently revealed Throne of Eldraine cards. Um, all sorts of spoilers being uh, hitting the streets on a daily basis this week. A um, bunch of cool cards that have been released. N not a lot of stuff that's really like rung my bell as cross-format all-stars, but definitely some role players for specific formats. Um, not the least of which today was Kenrith the Returned King. So this is Rowan and Will Kenrith's father, I'm assuming. Um, four and a white for a 5-5 five, five legendary, legendary creature, Human Noble. And he's got five different activated abilities. Red, all creatures gain trample and haste until end of turn. For one and a green, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. Two and a white, target player gains five life. Three and a blue, target player draws a card. Four and a black to put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under its owner's control. This is a deeply political commander card that is going to be in very high demand in foil. I, you know, one of my friends reached out to me and said, oh, this card is going to be 
really val you know the foil is gonna be really valuable. This is the buy box promo too, right? This is the only place this card's available. I'm I'm really lukewarm on Kenrith. I could be I could end up being wrong, right? Like it's happened plenty of times before. I think the red ability is nuts. Like just all creatures gain trample and haste on a turn for one mana every time is is awesome. But the rest of this, eh. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're all nuts if you have infinite mana. But if you have infinite mana, you don't need this card. You just do anything. So if you don't have infinite mana, how good is he? Eh, he's probably a Mardu creature, right? He's a white creature. His red ability is great, and his black ability is the most useful. But beyond that, like, the green and the blue are eh. Yeah, but that's not the thing. The thing the here green, is that all the green, fi- Yeah, the green, white, and blue abilities are eh. Yeah, but the thing is that this this is a card that allows you to reach across the table and influence events, and that's why it's going to be popular. All five abilities can influence other people's turns. So yeah. it's so it's just people are just going to latch onto it as a highly political card that allows them to dabble in mischief. And just for that alone, it's going to get played all over the place. I would I would argue that the thing most holding it back is its five color status, right? You can only play it in a five color deck. Yes, yeah, you can only play it in a five-color deck or as a commander. This is the problem I have here is that, again, well, I should say again that the red and the black are the important parts. Like, the green, blue, and white abilities are like, oh, I can give this other player five life. Eh, usually not going to be relevant. Making somebody, letting somebody else draw a card, usually not relevant, especially at these costs. It's not like they're all one mana. Like, Four mana for for target player draws a card. Like it has to be a really important draw step for you to spend the four mana on that. I guess you know if this was a mythic in the set, I'd be like, mm, no, I don't really think this is going anywhere. As a buy a box promo, it's got more, uh, I think, potential because supply is going to be a lot more constrained than it would be if it were in the set specifically. I'm at- so it it could do better in that regard. I'm actually less excited about the foils now that I realize it's the buy box promo, unless you tell me that there is also a masterpiece version in the collector boosters. That one would probably be good. That'll be good. I I don't know if that's the case. I can't remember if the BAB is limited uh, to just the set this time. We'll have to double check on that. Maybe report back next week. Well, I remember Gavin clearly saying on social media within Throne of Eldraine spoiler, pre-spoiler season that it is his goal to make sure every card is available in non-foil. So this has got to be someplace in non-foil. Are all the board alternate border cards foil? Do you remember? No, they come in like both. The, like, like the fancy they come in both. one? Yeah, so maybe there's a promo, like you said, like the essentially the masterpiece version of this card, both in foil and non-foil. That's going to be pricey. Uh, yeah. We'll have to double check. So what do you think... Go ahead. Wait, can, can I take a minute here? I want to get on my soapbox. Okay. Get on it. Let me let me this give you is, a hand. This is gonna be a pretty a, a pretty divisive opinion here. But I have to tell you, now that we're a little ways into this, I think Throne of Eldraine is the worst design set Wizards has put out in years. And I couldn't, when the spoilers started rolling in, I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I was talking to my buddy and, uh, you know, uh, Spruik, Bill Bolden, the guy that did the Magic album a while ago, uh, he he explained what his problem was with it. And I'm like, that's it. Uh, That's what I was feeling. If you look back at Theros, Theros was a Greek set. 
that, but it was, it was a magic set that looked at Greek mythology and then built a world within that, that, that flavor space, right? And I felt like the mechanics worked really well with that. Um, theme. So like devotion, you're like, this is a world, this set is about, is, is Greek mythology. Okay. We have an ability called devotion. Bam. I understand what that's going to mean, even if I don't know what the mechanic is. And then somebody says, yeah, you get abilities based on how many color pips you have of a color, of a color. It's your devotion to white. Awesome. It makes perfect sense. The mechanic is good. It flits, fits the, the name of the mechanic, the, uh, the flavor of the world. All of this works, right? Then we get here. We get adamant. I'm like adamant. What does what does that mean? Oh, it's how much colored mana you spent on the spell. Oh, well, what does that have to do with fairy tales? And I know that this was explained somewhere in an article, but it's like, but if you have to explain it to me, that's it, it's that's a push. bad. It's a push. Yeah, yeah. We're like, like I shouldn't have to have you explain to me how this mechanic flits fits flavorfully I, in the I, world. I also don't like the word adamant. I think that that is a total fail versus what it actually reflects. Yeah, so I agree. So, like, I feel like they 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 missed there. Um, but and that kind of ties into my larger problem with Throne of Eldraine is that Theros felt like they took this concept of Greek mythology and they built a magic set with that as the backing. Throne of Eldraine feels like they looked at fairy tales and said, "We are going to make magic cards based on these fairy tales." And this looks like the design file of somebody who does this at an amateur for fun level. Like, hey, you remember, uh, you know, Ariel? That's a fairy tale. We're going to make that a card. Oh, what about the crystal slipper? We'll make that a card. What about uh, the bri- the troll who lives under the bridge? Uh, we'll do that one. Oh, and Goldilocks, that's a fairy tale. We'll do that as a card. And it just feels very discordant. Um, it feels like, it's just like for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what it is? It's, it's the ready player one of magic sets. It's the, hey, do you remember this reference? Hey, do you recognize this reference? Hey, do you recognize this reference? And you're just getting rewarded for having seen things before, but it doesn't really try and do anything on its own, it feels like. The adventure feels terrible, too. Like, I don't under, like this doesn't make any sense as a, I don't mind the mechanic, I and I don't like the frame, but I don't understand how this ties into the theme. Like, there's no, there's no congruity there. And it's just all of the cards feel like they're trying to be cohesive, but they're failing it's like a worse innistrad in in that the, the world doesn't feel connected it's worse mechanically in tying the mechanics to the theme of the world worse than theros was uh it just doesn't seem to do any of the things that it wants to do correctly and i feel like everyone who's enjoying it is just going hey i remember that from when i was six years old so i love this which i hate it's a bunch of individually siloed top-down designs and the glue to bind them is not readily apparent. Like yeah. is, the world building is really, uh, it, it's not there. It is miss. And, and it was a good, Innistrad is a good comparison because Innistrad is a very, um, well constructed, cliched granted, but easily parsed world. Here are the various factions here. How, here is how they are, um, set up in opposition to one another and as you go from card to card, you can see that world playing out consistently. And when you returned to Innistrad and they, they had an Eldrazi problem, you also saw that corruption theme play out very consistently throughout the entire set. Whereas because these cards have to work so hard at establishing the reference, 
they tend to really go all in on that. And I see a whole, like, you could easily argue to someone who didn't know this game well, that these were all happening in different places, that these cards are not necessarily tied together on the same world, that you could make the argument that these are different places, different times, different planes, and they would buy that because the art direction, um, I, I find, is not well bound together, card to card. Now, we're only halfway through the set. So they have, I'm I'm holding final judgment till I see the rest of this. I certainly agree with the adamant thing. I, I, I think I generally dislike top-down design that unless it really delivers. And I don't know if we're going to get there. The adventure thing, um, I think is going to play a lot better than it parses. Um, I think that the way that they set it up to play, where you get the spell first, if you can, if you don't have an immediate need for the creature, and later you get the creature, and then you can do blinking and bouncing to get additional use. I think that's going to end up being a lot more powerful than people realize, because you're getting a lot of potential card value through interactions and combos. But I'm, I was mystified when they announced how it actually works, and it wasn't what I expected, which was that from the initial cards we saw, you get the creature first, and then you get to cast the adventure from on, from the creature being in play. It's so strange to me that they went the other way. You cast the adventure first and then later get the creature because the way a card parses is from top to bottom and the part that you're actually using most likely to use up front is not the creature, it's the spell because you want to get the bonus value. And yet that's tucked down into a little tiny card in the bottom left corner. And so just like just the as fan and the parsing is very very strange. Yeah, what I, what threw me off was that the spells have been uh, almost uniformly, possibly completely so, uh, more expensive than the creature. So it felt like it played in that you play the creature, and then after the creature is expended, then it you know, or 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 in whatever fashion that is, whether it's wealth in play or after it dies or whatever, then you get the the spell but it's not it's like wait so i can play this one mana creature or cast a spell for three mana and then get a one mana creature afterwards it's just like feels like the creature should come first right based on the mana cost which i understand that it's like a, a must be a balanced thing but uh it definitely throws you off it's just you know between lorwin and and eventide and Theros and Innistrad, it just feels like everything this set wants to do was done better somewhere else along the line. They, they also have but. a real like push here for multiple ability, like uh, keyworded abilities per creature. So Wildborn Preserver is Flash Reach plus something else. Robber of the Rich, oh. which is your Robin Hood card, is Reach Haste plus something else. Clackbridge Troll is Trample Haste plus something else. Feasting Troll King, Vigilance Trample, and a couple of other things. Like, how, there's a lot how, of word soup here. There's going to be a lot about, or pick pick it up and read it at, at the pre-release, that's for sure. How about Questing Beast? Holy Vigil- moly. Vigilance, Vigilance, Death Touch, Haste. Questing Beast can't be blocked <laughs> by creatures with power two or less. Combat damage that would be dealt by creatures you control can't be prevented. That affects things off card you got to think, track and think about. And then when it deals combat damage to an opponent, it deals that much damage to target Planeswalker that player controls. I mean, this is like, if that had been the only place the word soup showed up, we would have just chalked it up as, okay, this is your shifting Ceratops type card where they were trying to make sure Teferi wasn't too good. <laughs> the, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to head off some potentially dominant strategies at the pass. But there's a lot of haste in this set. Like, it's like they really want people to be fighting hard. 
The, the red zone going to be full of people. They yeah, Lots they want bodies. you to be they want you to be able to go after planeswalkers. They don't want planeswalkers being free essentially. It, it, um, it reads like they were scared of War of the Spark, right? Uh yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know, question, you know, I don't generally mind obvious hate cards like great sable stag uh back from lorwyn which sure. was like three mana screw your fairies but this thing is just like you know i understand that sometimes you need an inelegant solution but really this is how you came up with it like there are three separate clauses and then three keywords <laughs> so, so you have to parse the the power and toughness Three keywords and three clauses. There are essentially seven components to this card to pay attention to. Yeah. Cool. So, so there are some cute stuff. There are some cute things going on here, though. There's a lot of like, there's some jokes that are trying too hard. There's some others that are pretty fun. Um, I'm not sure which one this is, but I had to have Lockmere Serpent's little Easter egg explained to me today. Apparently, because yeah. the South Park episode with about 350 uh, references the Loch Ness monster, this thing has three abilities and 50 words on it. Uh, okay. Is that what it is? I knew, I figured, I figured it was something like that. I just hadn't, I but, gotta tell you, not a fan of Wizards of the Coast putting South Park Easter eggs in the set. <laughs> you know, that's, it seems I, a little weird. There's also, I, 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 also, I could really go off on South Park. Like, I do not like that show. Okay. And for, <laughs> not because it's crass and unfunny, but because I think it ruined a generation of people. But I will save that soapbox since I already used one today. Wait, we need an after hours at some point, it seems like. The um, my main complaint with the theming of this set is that if you're going to go, I, I feel like they ran out of recognizable um, middle uh, European European era, like Hans Christian Andersen type fairy tales and started dipping into other stuff like the Loch Ness Monster is not a middle like a M- Middle Ages type fairy tale. <laughs> the Loch Ness Monster is a modern urban myth almost. Like, well, it's, 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 a, it's a 20th be, century myth. It's not like. I, I'm doing their work for them here, but it's supposed to be fairy tale and Arthurian legend. Sure. But was the was the creature, the serpent of the lock a thing? I, I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that it was. OK. That that carries over or some other similar fairy tale. I mean, Basically, I'll, I'll give them the super, super fun bear suplex card. <laughs> uh, which one's that one? If, if you liked bear punch, here's bear suplex where you've got a looks like a warrior of some kind suplexing a bear over their shoulder in a classic WWE move. Uh, I guess I missed that one. Oh, I see. It's one of the foreign language comments. Bear. Yeah. Oh, the name on Mythic Spoiler is bear suplex. That's See, that's funny. funny, but like it feels like it's a punchline amidst 200 other punchlines. Yeah. So here's one of the now, cards that st- stands out to me as a potentially pushed constructed playable card. Charming Prince, one in a white for a 2-2. Oh, when it enters the battlefield, yeah. you choose one of the following. Scry 2, already weird that you get that on a white card. I guess that's technically in the color pie for white, but we don't see it very often. Um, you gain three life or exile another target creature you own, return it to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. I mean, start with Soul Herder decks uh, in modern. Seems like a likely place for that to get tested. Scry 2 just seems great. It's a human, so humans might want this card. 
reflector mage is still legal in modern and a human right you know <laughs> and you can you can you can exile your uh thalia's lieutenants that's nasty mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh this guard is busted um i think it's i think it's going to be probably go straight into humans in modern it's hard to say for sure they might be have not quite have enough come in the play effects for it to really get the job done um but he's go- definitely going to find pl- a couple homes in modern uh at the very least some of those bant um good stuff decks right because he looks for your combo piece he stores up your burn matchup he flickers a creature you're making good use of he does a lot of work for you you know on another side note i am full of piss and vinegar tonight they also gave this card to reduke to spoil which was clearly a Everyone thinks Reed Duke is this really great guy. Let's give him this. There's there's a subtext in here, too, I could get into, but I will give you even less on that one. But that is uh, something there to talk about on After Hours one day as well. All right. Uh, Outlaw's Merriment has my attention as a potential History of Banalia type (laughs) card that might actually just be uh, assembled a legion. I guess we'll see. Uh, one one red double white at the beginning of your upkeep choose one at random create a red and white creature token with those characteristics you either get a 3-1 human warrior with trample and haste or a 2-1 human cleric with lifelink and haste a 1-2 human rogue with haste and when this creature enters the battlefield it deals one damage to any target that's a a lot of haste (laughs) yeah one of our one of our former guests had some very unkind words for the design of this card uh the number of tokens you have to have on hand for this is pretty obnoxious. It's interesting yeah. that they give you warrior, warriors, clerics, and rogues, and no knights. I bet you anything this started making knights, and they it was crazy in the knight decks. Yeah, yeah it's probably too good. I don't doubt that at all. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not enamored with this. Like, it's four mana and in Boros, and then it doesn't trigger till your upkeep. So. If if you get one activation out of this, on you pay four mana so that on turn five you could have a three one trample on haste. Sure, uh, but and this is at random, right? At random, so you don't know which one you're going to get. So you have to have, I mean, how many turns do you have to have with this in play before you feel like you've gotten your mon- money's worth? It's probably like you have to have like four upkeeps. I think I don't think before this was worth it. I don't think so because of the extra keywords. The trample lets you drive the point home from an aggro perspective because it you say that you're delayed till the next upkeep, but because they have haste, it's as though you got the token, but it couldn't block. And if you're in an aggro deck, you probably didn't want to block anyway. If it's a mid-range deck where you're trying to grind if, people out, then the lifelink is, matters. That might be worth a, core, a third of a card or a half of a card to get some lifelink trade-offs going. And then the rogue version, you have a one in three chance of dealing one damage to any target. That could finish a game, that could kill a, a blocker, that could do a bunch of stuff. So Did you catch this is at random? Sorry? This did you catch that this makes them at random? Yeah, yeah. But you don't but all okay. three of the modes are good. Either either yeah. and they all have haste. So at it's it's hard I can see a situation where aggro decks need a more definitive final punch. There is a card in this in this set that does like well, Searing Barrage for five does five damage to a creature and three to its controller if you were using red on it. Probably too expensive uh, for standard. But there's a there's a couple of other burn spells that might be better suited than Merriment for an aggro deck. But as a, in a mid-range deck, 
this is pretty grindy. It's pretty hard to deal with. Like it shrugs off wrath effects, can come back from that pretty quick. And you can't point removals no better pointed at this thing. So if they burn up a bunch of that stuff with your against your early plays and then you drop this, they're like, what are they casting that's overwhelming this? Well, I mean, nobody's overwhelming it. They're just going to let you get one or two, three ones, and then they're going to nuke it with whatever enchantment removal they have because everything's a split card now. Uh, so they <laughs> I, I, I don't know about all that. I mean, let me put it this way. Merriment is worth watching because it's a mythic, not a rare. Normally, you would well, expect th- this at rare. As a mythic, it it was posted, I think, at three bucks on Star City today and quickly got up to eight. The people that got in at three could be in real good shape. If, the, if a deck coalesces if a deck coalesces around this and a list is floating and people look at that and go, yeah, that's a viable standard deck. That makes sense. And it's a three or a four of in that list. Then this is going to be a $10 mythic minimum. During well, release I f- yeah. I mean, I don't doubt that that definitely happens. Uh, if you manage to get a good price on the mythic during pre-release season, it by the time you get it in your hands, you might be up a couple dollars on the card. So I won't begrudge that. And the fact that it's a mythic clearly show shows I shouldn't say clearly it shows that wizards had some thoughts about this because it's not at rare. Uh, I agree with you that you'd expect this at rare. The fact that it's at mythic is like hmm, especially when we've seen cards similar at rare. Uh, Assemble the Legion is the one I'm most inclined to compare this to. By the way, I think Assemble the Legion is a better card than this, hands down. Uh, I, I just I feel like if you make three cards with this, you probably got your money's worth. I think four is where you start to feel like you got an advantage, but that's turn eight. Like that is just so long. But whatever. I mean, we could argue about this till the cops cows come home. The the real card here. I think the biggest spoil today is Robber the Rich, right? Like, I have no no idea. I'm just as torn on this card as to whether this is unplayable trash or totally great. Oh, there's no way this is unplayable. Two mana, red, red. It's one and a red, two, 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 reach haste. Uh, When it attacks, if your opponent has more cards, you uh, essentially Night Veil Spectre them. You exile the top card of of their library and you can cast it any color mana but this is uh, so much more interesting if that's first strike or trample reach doesn't do anything that this card wants to do in fact reach feels I, I, so tacked on here it's the strangest inclusion i assume reach is there as not that robber of the rich needs reach to do its job but as a concession to the Robin standard Hood. environment it's printed into well it could be an anti-fairies tech thing but i think they all yes, i think i think it's yeah. actually there just as a haha robin hood climbs in windows and steals stuff that could be it too that he you know he's a robber and he's got reach like i could buy that too i think actually that's what was the first thought i had earlier today so um i, I agree the, re- the you you can read this without the reach basically it's a two mana two two haste when it attacks you get to exile the top card of their library you're you know on the first turn that you play this you should probably don't have the mana to do anything with it but on turn three you get to attack with robber the rich uh, if you're on the play, or even if you're not on the play, most likely they exile the top card of their library, and now you can make a decision during the attack phase: Do I want the spell that they exiled? Do I play a removal spell to, you know, to do this? Do or, you know how do I want to proceed from here? So um, I think it gives you a lot of options, and it's going to—it's just another powerful red card, um, very low 
it's a very it's another cheap red creature that applies pressure early and really asks your opponent to have a removal spell and if you've got enough of those in your deck your opponent will run out of removal spells and one of them will get there so it's it's quite a card it's quite a card uh is it reds hallowed to drop um you know we have this this unofficial two drop cycle which is tarmogoyf snapcaster stoneforge mystic dark confidant and red has been looking for theirs and they've tried a bunch of times and they haven't pulled it off yet is it robber the rich i don't know um, okay so but that's definitely the one to look for a couple of things in standard if this is a role player and the red deck is present which it almost always is um and it's a four of which it probably would be then it's a four of mythic in a red deck which is extremely rare usually you've got a goblin guide type situation where you've got a rare that's necessary that hits ten dollars but a mythic it the red decks tend to be played in a much higher percentage regardless of whether they're the top deck in the meta you know what i'm saying like there's just red is usually an easy to understand new player friendly archetype and because of that it tends to fill a much greater percentage of the meta at your local fnm than it, than other decks will the there's way more players that are comfortable playing a red deck that's aggro focused than there are you know experienced control players um and as a result if robber the rich is a four of in standard it is going to be a very expensive mythic uh, probably $25. And I also haven't seen another mythic that looks like a four of for standard. And then there's this other thing. Is it good enough for play in modern? Because it's trigger. Once it's exiled, the cards reads during any turn, you attacked with a rogue, not robber of the rich, but any rogue, you may cast that card and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast a spell. You don't actually need to connect with the card. So my earlier comment about mm. first strike and trample is also not totally on point because you're getting these triggers off the attacks after the off the attack action, uh, but only if they have more cards in their hand than you. So it really wants to be in in an aggro deck because you don't want to be holding more cards than your opponent to get the triggers. And if you can figure out a bunch of other rogues that can help you cast the cards later. Maybe that pushes it into viability for that format. And if it's standard plus modern, whew, that could be a very expensive card indeed. Yeah. So I don't know if this is the answer uh, if it's or what it would be the answer to, but I do think that it is definitely a potent card to watch. What do you think about Clackbridge Troll? Is this a desecration demon in the making? Uh, this is three Clack- double black, eight, eight, trample haste. Again with the haste. When Clackbridge Troll enters the battlefield, target opponent gets three zero one white goat creature tokens. At the beginning of combat on your turn, any opponent may sacrifice a creature, and if a player does tap the troll, you gain three life and you draw a card. So they can keep shutting it down, but if they do, they're putting you further and further away from being dead and giving you more and more resources. And eventually, yeah, so- they, they run out of goats, they run out of their creatures, and in theory, the tr- troll starts getting in there. What was the name of that demon? Desecration Demon. From Desecration Demon. So, so Desecration Demon was a 6-6 six, six flyer. This is an 8-8 eight, eight trample with haste. Uh, Desecration Demon gave you... Didn't give you a... Re- your, didn't give anyone any rewards when they sacrificed a creature. It just tapped him. Um, this time, if your opponent sacrifices a creature, you get 
to draw a card and gain three life, which is way better for you than it was with Desecration Demon, right? Like Desecration Demon, you didn't feel as bad tapping the creature, but now it's like, oh, wow, I keep this tapped, but then he gains three life and draws a card. That's even more. And, and, but, and, and odds are, on the first, on when you initially drop this, especially if they're tapped out, you're getting three life and drawing a card. And a well, goat, right, and a that's goat, the thing. It's going away. Is Desecration Demon didn't give your opponent three creatures. So, uh, yeah, I would say they're probably comparable because essentially this is probably reasonably, I think we can say that this is a five mana, eight, eight trample haste, uh, that can't attack for two turns. And it also says gain six life and draw two cards. Like that's probably good enough. I would have to say that. I would have to say this is actually probably a pretty legitimate card. Because if you play this on five, knowing you can't attack right away, you're still going to get six life and two cards out of it. So five mana for an 8-8 eight, eight, trample, gain six, draw two cards, like or like, you know, on suspend two or whatever. It's hard to, like, evaluate that card and, like, put that into a context that makes sense. But that does sound quite good. So the thing is about Robert the Rich, they also gave you another play your opponent stuff card greedy impulse sorcery blue black blue black blue black blue black uh target opponent reveals their hand you choose a non-land card in that player's hand or graveyard and exile it for as long as that card remains exiled you can cast it and you can spend mana as though it were any type to cast it interesting that you can reach into the graveyard or the hand four is a lot to set this up but i'm curious more importantly all this hybrid mana makes me wonder whether de- devotion in Ther- the next re- the return to Theros is going to be based on two colors. Counting well, I wanted to point either or colors. I, I was going to point that out that this is definitely sowing the seeds for devotion, right? And I mean, I didn't even think we we kind of had that feel when we saw the um, the Cavaliers from the core set. We're like, uh, these pips sound like Theros to me. And, you know, we're seeing it here with Feasting Troll King is quad green pips. Uh, this is, you know, adamant. The mechanic wants you to go heavy on one color. We've got several hybrid cards. We've got that one. You've got Okame Ranger down there as an uncommon, which is quad mana pips. Um, but yeah, I, I think to your, to your specific mechanic question, you know, is the devotion mechanic going to be like, devotion to boros well let's see because wait how did that work like okay, if you had so, a Rois, so here's the thing Here, here's what i actually think really it is. quick i don't think it's going to be about pips on board i think it's going to care about pips being cast and that's why they're giving us sorceries with four hybrid mana in them because there's going to be rewards when you ca- on cast instead of uh giving you benefits for having a bunch of devotion on board so like they're going to just look at it from the reverse angle. I got you. So it's it's not if you have five pips in play, this becomes this. Or when it comes into play, I mean, it could still be when it comes into play. You could still do devotion, I, but you could add a mechanic. You could still do normal devotion where it's like, you know, Gray Merchant of Asphodel, which when it comes into play deals damage based on your black mana pips. Essentially that concept. But they could also do when you cast a spell like gain one life for every green pip in the mana cost well see i the way i tend to think about this is from the gods on out so last time the gods are turned on based on pips and play this time they might be based on your prayers 
per turn. Mm. So maybe they're like that. Uh, uh, Perforos turns on if you cast five pips worth of red or white. Or, well, Perforos in theory is red, but I don't know if they're going to shift any of that. There is also uh, Iros? 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 But whoever the red white god was, Eros, um, the red, the red white god, he could be something like, um, you know, if you've cast five pips worth of red or white spells, he turns on for the turn. Yeah. Yeah, or uh, yeah, I could see that. Or if you you know cast five in one turn and he becomes a creature, yeah, like he's an enchantment, he becomes a creature which gains this ability type of thing. Exactly, and just ter- permanently turns on after that. Yeah, they could do it a couple ways. Because uh, what? How about Sir Sir Kara the Bold, three double red, three three, legendary creature, human knight. Whenever, uh. Sir Kara the Bold, or an instant or a sorcery spell, you control deals damage to a player. Exile the top card of your library. You can play this that card this turn. Tap. Sir Sir Kara deals one damage to any target. Uh yeah, that's interesting. So it's y- yeah, it's fine. I, I think it's a fun mono red commander, but I don't think it goes too far beyond that. Well, it probably it's, goes. It's expensive in, at five. It go, probably goes in a bunch of spells, matters, decks in EDH. Yes, yeah, that's your. That's where you're gonna get your Jess guys and your use. and your blue red decks. Um. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's just a little pricey. I think is the issue. The. The, the card here, I, I think one of the other cards that um, has been a little quieter today or yesterday, but is still also very relevant, is a Murderous Rider. Yeah. Which is the kind of... That could be the I, hero's downfall here. Yes, that is. A, that they actually, they specifically said it was, we needed a hero's downfall. <laughs> uh, so we made this card. Um, and it's I was going to say it's a fixed hero's downfall, but it almost almost seems better. Well, because right. it, it's like, not a sorcery, it's an instant. Uh, Hero's Downfall was an instant, wasn't it? Right, but that's what I'm saying, is that you would expect, if you're getting a creature on the backside, they might have made the front side a, a sorcery. But no, yes, you just correct. you just straight up get a Hero's Downfall, but you lose two life, but then you get a 2-3 lifelink, and when it dies, you put it on the bottom of your of its owner's library, and people are, I bet you, going to blink this with blue spells. So... Uh... This, yeah, I'm, this this could easily be the ten to fifteen dollar rare of the set. Yes, I think it has the markings, the potential. I don't know if it's if it is this card because that type of thing is always so tricky to nail down to specifically because it's very metagame dependent and a card that would be insane in one standard is worthless in another, and we don't know what the format's going to look like. But I do think that this there are universes where this card is the chase rare of the set. I, I find it hard to believe this is anything but. A four of and a bunch of decks. It is both a zombie and a knight. The kill is instant. It targets creatures and planeswalkers. It's at the right cost for standard. And then if you've got the time, you're getting that lifelink 2-3 zombie knight that has some minor amount of recursive ability. Currently, Card Kingdom has it at six bucks. That seems expensive for a standard rare, but it might be cheap if it's Hero's Downfall. Yeah, if it's the Chase Rare, the set that's cheap, right? Those are have been sitting at like 15, 12 to 15. 
Ember Cleave, I think, is a card that a lot of people are going to overlook, but I also think that it's only going to be end up being a one or a two of in the red deck. This is the oh, legendary this artifact bad. equipment for double red flash. This spell costs one less to cast for each attacking creature you control. So let's say that on turn four, you're attacking with three creatures. This would cost you three mana. When Embercleave enters the battlefield, attach it to target creature for free. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and double strike and trample. So that's a nice one to drop onto your Robin Hood. Yeah, I don't actually think this card is very good. This seems like the... Uh... Oh, shoot. What was it called? The Godsend? Godsire? Godsword. God. No, it was the one Elf Best. Godsire. 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 No, Godsire is a creature. Uh, uh, gods. Jeez. <laughs> Godsend. The heck is that card? Uh, wait, we'll figure this out. I'm going to. Godsend. Godsend. This feels like the Godsend of the set. Where it looks cool, interesting card, not actually going to be good. I disagree. I, I think it's going to see regular play in the red deck. It is double strike and trample and a boost is no joke. Uh, it's got yeah. flash. It, it comes in in the middle of combat, messes with combat math. You don't have to cast it before blockers. That's a blowout right there. Um... I just don't think it's a four of because you definitely don't want to be holding a hand with two or three of them. No, no. I, it's, I mean, you have to be attacking realistically with at least three creatures, probably four. And if you are attacking with three creatures, you get some probably irrelevant. No, because it's only that creature that gets the ability. So only one creature gets good. Hmm. I don't know. I don't love it. I don't like it. I could be wrong. Like I feel like I say that all the time. Of course, I could be wrong. I, my my gut reaction here is that it's not good enough. I I, I don't think it's financially relevant as a mythic. I think yeah. it's I think it's going to be a jank mythic. But okay. I, I also think people are going to think it's unplayable, and I actually think it's going to see a lot of play. Um, yeah, a lot of play. I mean, I could see it one just or two be, just odds. because I'm assuming there's a red deck being set up to be good here. Like whether it's a red, like a Mardu Knights deck, or whether it's a straight red deck, I, I think we're getting we're gonna see that aggro deck. They always bake those into the format, um, and they tend to do well, especially early on in the fall. Here, here, yeah, they tend not to be cute though, right? Like they're usually just like here are the most hyper efficient cards possible. It's not about playing into the set's mechanics or doing something nifty. It's just like yeah, here are the the eight cards we have that are closest to lightning bolt. Uh, <laughs> And you're going to play four of each of them. Um, the 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 caveat there is that if we see more equipment matters components to this than we've seen so far, that changes the math. Like, right, if there's other if there's knights that care a lot about wielding equipment, then it's like, oh, OK, I see. Now you, you can really double up on this and get a lot more out of it than we realized at first glance. All right, what about Wishclaw Talisman? One in a black for an artifact, enters the battlefield with three wish counters on it. One tap, remove a wish counter, search your library for any card, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library, and an opponent gains control of it. Uh, people are talking about how bad this is because your opponent then gets to get something. People are dumb. This card in Commander is going to be played forever and ever and ever. Because it's a demonic tutor, then you politically give it to whoever else needs to get a tutor, and you make a deal before you give it to them that they don't hurt you with the card. 
then they have to then they give it back to you and and that's part of the initial deal so you're going to demonic tutor twice they're going to do it once and it's going to be all upside for you yeah uh i do think that there's a lot going on with this card that, that's going to be easy to overlook first of all demonic tutor is the most played black card in edh and diabolic tutor is like the fourth most played um so definitely a demand for tutors in black and edh which is a real shame because they're not fun they're boring as hell and you should feel bad if you're playing them in your commander deck but that's <laughs> beside the point at this point um not only is it really good in EDH, right? Like we know people are going to play this card there. The question is, I think like that's a foregone conclusion. The question is, is this good enough in modern? Two mana demonic, two mana tutors is good enough to be banned in legacy, right? Four mana demonic tutors are not playable in a single format where you use sleeves. What is a three mana tutor? I don't think we've really had that before. Uh, and, and that is and an, that is arguably repeatable. Yeah, I, I, I'm like assuming this is the type of card that you cast and then kill them that turn. Like it, it's a it, I'm an, I'm comboing off and I need a, a card. So I'm like you're playing ad nauseum, right? Or something or something like that. And it's like you start going off. You play Wishclaw. You search for the one combo piece and then you finish them off and never pass it back. And And when you pass it over, it's tapped. They don't get to use it right away. Yeah. So they've got to untap and then go, and they've got to waste mana to go get the card. And that needs to not interfere with their pre-existing game plan. And against a deck like, say, Burn in Modern, maybe this is just way too slow, but maybe giving them a card doesn't matter because Burn isn't going to waste a mana to go get a replacement for a card they already have in hand. Well, I, I, I mean, the issue. This is definitely way too slow against Burn. If you're activating this, you've probably already won the game, uh, and Burn would have no problem going and getting another lightning bolt or whatever, because uh, if they're just trying to close the game out, their issue isn't that they're <coughs> tight on mana. It's probably that they're one card short. Um, but it, it, it is, it is curious. I ultimately, I don't think it's going to do anything in modern. I think the format is too fast and too volatile there's too much other stuff going on at this point for a three mana uh you can, tutor to be any good there you can also, but i mean the fact is it's going to be great in commander and it's going to be like the seventh most played card in that format yeah in modern one of the things is that a lot of the decks that want to tutor things up already have hyper efficient ways to do that so finale yeah. of devastation yeah. your collected companies your um, Goblin Engineers, your Stoneforge Mystics, they are very efficient at going to get the cards that you want to win the game. And they all have limitations, but that's fine because your deck's built around those limitations anyway. So Wishclaw just turns into a slow, doing the thing you want to do slower at the cost of flexibility and potentially giving your opponent too many resources. So I can easily buy that this is not where you want to be for modern. Um, but if people sleep on these foils for EDH and they get real cheap, whew, give me a bunch. Mm, yeah. Yep. This is going to be real tasty down the road. Cause it just has, uh, it just has sure. way more text on it in commander than it is actually reading. You actually read off the card. Yeah. I mean, this might be where I'm supposed to use all my channel, channel fireball credit that I keep trying to use and finding their out of stock of the cards that I want to buy <laughs> is just wait for them to put these foils up at like 75 cents and just buy them out three times. Uh, I'd be very surprised if we see foils that cheap, but we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, it could fall. It could fall under the radar. Let me dream. 
So we've already <laughs> talked about Once Upon a Time. We've talked a little bit about Questing Beasts. Those seem like shoe-ins to do some work. Um, yeah, Once Upon a Time is going to yeah, mess things up. That's about it. I mean, nothing else is really jumping out at me. The only other thing I wanted to talk about as pertains to Throne of Eldraine is that collector booster uh, boxes, which in theory um, are were expected to land at retail in the 200 to 250 kind of range, um, and they're only 12 packs, by the way, um, have been reported pre-selling as high as 350 375 on eBay and, and the like. Um, allocations on this are going to be very slim and we've got a pre-order in for the uh, pro traders uh, at a very good price better than anybody has access to um, that i know about that's not a vendor and i'm actually a little worried that we're not going to get the full allocation <laughs> because ultimately that's not in the hands of the vendor that does the deal with us it's in the hands of their distributor and, and the vendor in question is pretty big deal vendor they have access to a lot of boxes and most stuff but i'm hearing like allocations are in the 10 to 12 or thirteen thousand range so about the same as most of the other premium products um about the same as the mythic edition and keep in mind that a lot of this product is being distributed uh, as buy a box incentive. So buy a box comes with the King that we talked about earlier, but also a collector booster pack. And a lot of LGSs may only have enough for that program, that marketing program, and will not have access to very many other boxes of 12 packs. Um, so I'm very curious to see how this ends up. If we actually get our allocation and we end up being able to flip for plus 50 or 100 bucks, it's going to be pretty sweet. Um, and if we don't, then wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure people are... Uh, their their heartstrings bleed for you, James. <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm not super deep on it because any. I'm still a little befuddled by the concept of a premium product full of a bunch of jank rares. That's true. I will tell you that this is this looks worse than it did before, just because the Throne of All Drain cards just aren't doing it for me. But well, I mean, that's very much a, a me thing, not a a, a lot of, of the borderless thing. rares and mythics we've seen so far have been posted over two hundred dollars per card. Now, I I don't believe for a second that they can hang out there. That very many of them will be able to hang out there that long. But you know, like, what do you think Charming Prince's price is? Say December first. Ugh, in, I, I, in the I, full art version, non foil. Yeah, probably like 120, maybe 80. Foil or non foil? I'd have to go. Foil. I'd, I, I, don't, I don't want to deal with this because <laughs> I would have to go back and like look at like four different data points to try and to get a bead on this because i'm like which which promo which are you talking about the extended border or yeah. the promo border is there a promo border and which pack is that and i this I, is, I don't know this is their whole thing is that it's, their new strategy is just to confuse us to the point where we can't possibly evaluate what's what's going on well good news They've it succeeded. worked yeah all right well that's a, a wrap for this week where can people find you online travis uh, I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday at MTG Price doing the Watchtower series. Uh, yeah, how about you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. I'm working on a new article for next week that is going to be about uh, up bringing your A-game to the MTG finance scene. It's going to be five or six critical tips to sharpen up your habits and get better returns. 
Uh, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mdgprice.com pro trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. And I guarantee you that's the case. <laughs> the, the amount of money people saved ordering singles in the week, last week alone, I think, has driven a, a significant number of people to switch from monthly to annual memberships. Wow. Um, all right. Well, once again, MTG Fast Finance is probably sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering, single sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, it's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Our winner this week of the $25 gift certificate from our sponsor, Cool Stuff Inc., is Tony El Nino, hanging out in the Pro Trader Discord tonight. Tony El Nino, you have won a $25 gift certificate, and we will be in touch so that you can go spend big with cool stuff and help making sure we get stuff to give away. How lovely for him. Mm-hmm. I'm jealous. Thank you, Travis. I didn't win anything. We will see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.